going to take our Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to the book of John. The book of John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament of our Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel, the fourth Gospel there. And John chapter number 6, if you take the time to look there, we're going to... Uh, preach a, a message about a miracle today. We've been doing that throughout the, the uh, summer months and then into the, into the fall months as well. We've been looking at some miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. And uh, we started this series back in the summer really to go along with our theme for this year. Our theme, he'll, uh, 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 do it again, Lord. We've been singing that chorus, he'll do it again. If God has done it before, we know that He can do it again. We look at His miracles throughout the, uh, the, the Gospels and we see what Jesus did while He was here on earth. And what makes us think that God does not have the power to do again what He has done before? If, if He's saved souls in the past, He can do it again. If He's given revival in the past, He can do it again. If He's worked through the, the lives and hearts of individuals, He can do it in our lives today. And maybe perhaps as we look at these miracles, God would speak to your heart in that way, understanding the truth that God has done it before. The circumstances may be different surrounding what Jesus does for you today than these miracles that we read about, but what... But we understand that he can do it again. So we're going to look at John chapter number 6. There's something that is very unique about this miracle. Something that is very unique. This is a miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. All right, so the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of John. There are many miracles that are recorded in three of the Gospels. Some are recorded uh, perhaps only in one of the Gospels. But this is a miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. You say, all right, well, what is so unique about that? It is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels apart from, apart from the resurrection. Now, we know the resurrection was a miracle, wasn't it? When Jesus rose from the grave. So the resurrection of Jesus is, is, is recorded in all four Gospels. But this is the only miracle that, that Jesus performs during His earthly ministry that is recorded in all four Gospels. Something unique to think about. Uh, think about the importance of this miracle and what it teaches us. I think we're going to learn some things today. We're going to make some applications. We're going to hopefully put some things into practice as God speaks to our heart today. We're going to talk about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Really, the feeding of over 5,000 individuals. The miracle that Jesus performed to feed that large crowd of people that had come to hear him uh, teach and also come to have him perform miracles. And so I want to right away start with an introduction to this. And the introduction I, I'm going to take from, from the first couple verses in John chapter number 6. So if you look at John chapter number 6, let's start in verse number 1. It says this, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. It's also known as the Sea of, uh, of Chinareth as well. You'll see it in the Bible that way as well. So the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. Matter of fact, you may remember, uh, it probably would have been several months ago now because we've been preaching through these miracles for quite a while. We started back in the month of May. So really even into the spring and into the summer, we've been preaching through these miracles. You may remember if you were here for the miracle that we preached, this particular thought that was given, that the Sea of Galilee... Uh, was really a very prominent place when it came to the miracles of Jesus. A lot of miracles were performed uh, at, at, at either on the sea, as we think of the calming of the storm that happened right on the sea, 
or uh, on the shores that were located near the Sea of Galilee. So the Bible tells that Jesus gets into a boat. He gets into this boat with his disciples. Now there's a reason why he is getting into this boat. He is trying to get apart or separated from the crowd. There is a crowd that is following Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in verse number 2, it says, And a great multitude followed him. Really, we could word it this way. We could say there was a great multitude that was following Jesus. Because of all the things that he was doing, he had formed now a large group of followers. We could say it that way. There was a crowd that had become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he got into this boat for the purpose of getting apart for a little while. So that he could not only get apart from the crowd, but he could get alone with his disciples for uh, a time of rest. Now, some of you, you know, not, not some of you, but some people uh, might make the statement, well, that kind of seems selfish, that Jesus would want to get away from the crowd so he could be apart from them and to be able to have some time alone. But would you consider in your life how important it is to have some time alone, especially spiritually speaking, when we think about having time alone with God? How important it is to have time alone with God. And so, yes, there is something special about being able to, as we think of serving the Lord together, there is something special about being able to serve the Lord in a group of people and to be able to minister to a crowd and help a crowd out. But there also is something special, and by the way, something very important, about getting alone with the Lord as well and having that time of rest where we can get alone. The, Bible's, the, the, the Bible very clearly teaches us this. God has made our body in such a way where we need rest. We need to have some time alone, some time apart. And so that's what God's desire, that's what Jesus' desire is here. As he's trying to get into this boat to, to go from the, he's trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. He's trying to go from the western shore to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee for the purpose, again, of just kind of getting apart, getting alone, uh, having some rest time alone with his disciples. Now, I want to take you, and I'm going to do this a couple times throughout the course of this miracle. Remember, we said it was in all four Gospels. So we have three other parallel accounts of this, this miracle. So it helps us a lot to be able to go to the other Gospels and be able to look at this. So look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter number 6. We notice something interesting as we're studying through this miracle. Look at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is the account that Mark gives us of this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So in Mark chapter 6 and down at verse number 31, it says this. And he said unto them... So he's speaking to the apostles, had gathered themselves together unto Jesus, it says in verse number 30. And they, they matter of fact, this is, this is the, 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 he had sent them out. He had sent them out for the purpose of doing work for the Lord. And they come back and they start to give a report. This is what we've been able to experience. This is what God has enabled us to do. And the Bible says in verse number 31 that he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Now notice this. For, watch this, there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure such, or excuse me, so much as to eat. They were so busy ministering to the crowd and working with the crowd of folks that had come to hear the teaching of the Lord and to be able to have him perform miracles on their body because he knew that they knew that this was something he had the power to do. They were so busy that they had not even had the time to eat. So, so busy that they didn't even have uh, time to eat, he says. Have you ever had a time uh, where that seems like that's the way the day is going? And you just get so busy. The schedule seems to be so busy 
that you haven't had time to even sit down and eat something. That's what's said here of Jesus to his disciples. We got to get alone for a little while. We got to get apart from the crowd. And so they were busy. They were laboring. They were working with the crowd. Now, go back to John chapter 6, if you would. And by the way, we will refer back to Mark in just a moment one more time. But look at John chapter 6 and look at the beginning of verse number 5. I'm sorry, I want to go back to verse 3. Verse 3 says this, And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Okay, so Jesus gets in the boat. He goes from the western side to the eastern side, eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, for the purpose of getting apart, getting alone with his disciples, getting some rest. The Bible says they're there. Verse 4, And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, which means that it was a busy time. There would be a crowd that would uh, obviously be stirring because of, uh, of, uh, of the, the Passover feast that was happening. Look at the first part of verse number five, if you would. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes. So now picture this. Jesus is there alone with his disciples. He's trying to get apart. He's trying to get alone. He lifts up his eyes and notice this. He saw a great company come unto him. Now this crowd had been following Jesus But now the Bible tells us they follow Jesus where he's at from the western shore of the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee on foot. So they find a way on foot to get around the Sea of Galilee and locate themselves again where Jesus is. So can you picture this in your mind now? This group of individuals that are following Jesus, he's trying to get apart, he's trying to get alone with his disciples, and now they find a way on foot to go around the Sea of Galilee and to now get to where Jesus is in this moment where he's resting, he's apart with his disciples. The Bible kind of clarifies this for us a little bit, or I guess gives us a parallel example or scripture of this back in Mark chapter 6. So let's look at it this again for a moment there in Mark chapter 6. Let's notice the truth of what I just mentioned to you here in Mark chapter 6. Look down, if you would, at verse 32. Verse 32 in Mark chapter number 6. Again, the parallel passage of this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 32. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. So Jesus and his disciples privately on a ship going from the western side of the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side. Now watch verse 33. It says this. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him and ran afoot. So now on foot, they're running to get to where Jesus is. So they ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them and came together unto him. So they realize where he's gone. They run afoot to get to where Jesus is so they can be with him again. So the followers run to where Jesus is. And now this gets us to the main thought of the message that I want to point out to you today. By the way, I trust you'll stay there in Mark chapter number 6 because there's a verse I want to refer to as I begin the main thought of this message this morning. So we've established the introduction. We know where we're at. Jesus has gone from the western side of the Sea of Galilee to now the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee trying to get alone, but the crowd has followed him on foot. And the Bible says some special things about our Savior here in the next few verses, and I want us to notice those this morning. Number one, I want us to notice the compassion of Jesus. I want us to notice the compassion of Jesus. Aren't you thankful today that you serve a God who is a God of compassion? Notice what the Bible says about Jesus in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 34. And Jesus, when He came out, 
saw much people. So again, we're back to where we were in the parallel passage in the book of John where he looks up and he sees this crowd of people coming to him. Well, the Bible says in Mark that same, again, the parallel passage that gives us the same thought. Here's this crowd coming. Look at verse number 34. And was moved with compassion toward them. So Jesus, again, visualizes this multitude. The Bible says his heart is moved with compassion. Aren't you glad for the heart of your Savior? That his heart is moved with compassion. And he looks at them, the Bible says, with a heart of compassion. And notice how he looks at them. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 34. It says, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The Bible says in his compassion, he looks at them as sheep that are without a shepherd, without somebody to lead them, without somebody to guide them. Now, we know in the Word of God, we clearly see that we as people are illustrated or compared to sheep. We are compared to sheep because we need a shepherd to lead us. And the Bible says we have a great shepherd If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's been a time and a place where you put your faith and trust in the Lord. He says He is our shepherd. We know that very familiar psalm, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the great shepherd, the Bible says. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The great shepherd, he provides for us and he protects us and he takes care of us. The good shepherd is caring for his sheep and he's making sure they're in the sheepfold. He's making sure they're taken care of. You even remember the parable that if the shepherd would lose just one sheep and all the 99 other sheep are safe in the fold, what would he do? Work to take care of the 99? No, he'd go out because he knows the 99 are safe and he'd go out and he'd try to search for that one. That one sheep that is strayed away. That shows the goodness of the shepherd. Jesus, in a heart of compassion, looks at this multitude as sheep not having a shepherd. And the Bible tells us he begins to teach them. But not only does he teach them, I want you to look at the parallel passage in the book of Matthew. Would you go to Matthew chapter number 14, and we're going to pick up at the very same spot we were reading here in the the passage in Mark and the passage in John as well. The Bible says there are some other things that Jesus does with this crowd as he shows compassion towards them because they're sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew chapter number 14 and down in verse number 14, it says this, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. Now notice this, and he healed their sick. He healed their sick. So here's Jesus. We read in Mark chapter number 6 that he is teaching them. And then in Matthew chapter number 14, we read that he is healing those that are sick. So Jesus really is a part of several ministries, isn't he? He's healing and he is also teaching. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9. Now Luke chapter 9 is, again, the parallel passage in the other gospel that tells us the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So we get to Luke chapter number 9 and we see this story. By the way, Luke has been an exciting book as we've been studying through the, through the, through the miracles. Because in Luke, uh, we were introduced to several miracles. Uh, we got to see in the book of Luke, we got to see Jesus calming the storm. Then when he got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Bible tells us that he meets this, this man who is demon-possessed. 
And he cast the demons out. And remember, they went into the pigs and the pigs go over the mountain. So you remember that story. Then he is introduced to a man who has a sick daughter. Remember that man's name was Jairus. He has a sick daughter. While he is departing to go to where Jairus needs him to go, he is introduced to a lady who has an issue of blood. And he heals that lady. And then he goes to Jairus' house and he raises that daughter uh, from the dead. Then we get to chapter number 9 in the book of Luke, and now we get to see him feeding 5,000. Just miracle after miracle after miracle we get to study that the Savior tells us about, the, the Word of God tells us about here in Luke. So we get to Luke chapter 9, and look down, if you would, at verse number 11. It says, And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them, and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. So what have we learned about the compassion of the Savior? We've learned that he... Uh, saw the crowd, he looked at them with a heart of compassion, he saw them as sheep having no shepherd, he taught them, and then he healed their sickness as well. Now, all of this is happening when Jesus is at a point where he's been so uh, consumed with helping this crowd of people that he's trying to get apart because he needs rest. Man, does that not show us the heart and the compassion of our Savior? As human, down here on earth, 100% God, 100% man at the same time, had the same, uh, he went through the same things that we go through in our human bodies. He needed rest. But yet his compassion, his heart of compassion was so towards that people that even in the midst of being tired, he saw an opportunity for ministry, didn't he? Jesus did not look at what was going on as, 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 as the, the, the fact that he was being disturbed or the fact that he was being hindered in any way. Instead, he looked at it as an opportunity of ministry. So number one, we see the compassion of Jesus. But number two, I want us to notice the concern of Jesus. I want us to notice the concern of Jesus. Would you look back with me in John chapter number six, if you would. John chapter number six. And notice the end of verse number five. I want us to notice number two, the concern of Jesus. So his compassion is towards that multitude. And then we see his concern. Look at verse number six. I'm sorry, chapter six, verse number five. We'll start at the first part of the verse, but we're really going to concentrate on the second part. It says, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, now, Philip's one of the disciples. He says to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Jesus, with concern, realized that there was a need that had to be met. This crowd had gathered as Jesus teaches, as Jesus heals those that were sick, and now it has gotten to be the evening hours of the day. The Bible even talks about it being evening tide. So evening tide has come. It's the evening hours of the day. And now Jesus in his concern understands the fact there's a need that must be met. I have to feed this crowd of people. Where could we go, he says to Philip, to be able to find bread that all of these may be able to meet? Jesus had already taken the time to meet their spiritual needs. He was preaching to them. He was healing their sicknesses. He had already taken the time to meet their spiritual needs. Now he wants to meet their physical needs. 
Aren't you glad that you have a God that cares about all the needs that we have? He cares about our physical needs. He cares about our spiritual needs. He cares about the emotional needs that we have, the mental needs that we have. Aren't you glad we serve a God that has that much concern? But in your mind, would you picture the question, where could we go? What grocery store could we go to that will enable us to have enough food to feed over 5,000 people? Could you, ask, could you imagine even answering that question today? You know, where are we going to go to be able to get the supplies that we need to be able to feed over 5,000 people, this crowd that has gathered here? Jesus sees the need, but that question certainly is a tough question to answer, is it? Where are we going to go? Are we going to go to the, uh, uh, you know, not making light of it, but we're going to be able to go to the, to, the, to the local grocery store and be able to get all the supplies that we need. So in the concern of Jesus' heart, he realizes there's a need that must be met. We're going to notice in this passage that there are four solutions to this problem that are presented. There are four solutions. Notice with me, if you would, if you take the time to turn back to Mark chapter 6, we see the first solution to this problem, okay? So Jesus is asking the question, where can we find enough bread to feed this group of people? Well, the first solution is given in Mark chapter number 6. Look down, if you would, in verse number 35. Mark chapter 6, verse 35, it says this, And when the day was now far spent... His disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. The first solution was this. Just send the people away. Now think about the compassion. Think about the concern that we're seeing of our Savior in this passage. Solution number one, send the people away. Well, the Bible then presents to us solution number two. And that's back in John chapter number 6 that we were reading. In John chapter number 6 and verse number 6, here's solution number 2. Philip responds to the question that Jesus asked. So solution number 1, send them away. Send them home so they can get bread for themselves. But then remember the question that Jesus had asked Philip. Where can we go to be able to buy bread to feed this multitude, over 5,000 individuals? Well, solution number 2 is Philip answering Jesus' question. Look at the way Philip answers it in verse number 6. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now remember what we just read in verse number 6, because we'll come back to it in just a moment. Look at verse number 7. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. So here's Philip's answer. Even if we had 200 days worth of wages... And we were to go around to the crowd and we were to collect all of that and get 200 penny worth or 200 days. One penny worth would be equivalent to one day's wages. If we were to go around and get 200 days wages worth of money from the crowd that's gathering, that would be all well and good, Philip said. That would be all well and good, but it still would not be enough. We still would not be able to collect enough money to be able to go and pay for the expenses, the food that would be needed to feed this crowd. But remember what verse 6 said, that Jesus was testing Philip, wasn't he? The Bible says Jesus was testing Philip, and he's testing the strength of Philip's faith. You know, sometimes today he tests the strength of our faith, doesn't he? How much faith are we going to have in the Lord? Are we going to live by faith? Well, the Bible says that Philip sees this 
as a hopeless situation. Nothing. I mean, even if we gathered up as much money as we could possibly gather up, nothing is going to be good enough. Nothing can be done to to meet the need of this crowd. The problem was too big. Can I say today, never, let's never allow our faith. If there's an application we can make at this point in the message, let's, let's never allow our faith to limit what God can do. Let's never limit what God can do by assuming what is and what is not impossible with God. Because with God, nothing, the Bible says very clearly, is impossible with God. Do not limit what God can do by assuming, well, this is possible and this is not possible. Perhaps in your life today, you are presenting to the Lord what you think is an impossible task. There's no such thing with God, is there? There's not a task that is impossible. Maybe perhaps God has asked you to do a task that you feel is impossible. perhaps there's some here today that were saying, I'm presenting something to God that I think is impossible. Or maybe there's someone here today that's saying, God's presenting something to me that I feel is impossible. Don't underestimate His power. Don't underestimate His ability. Don't underestimate the strength of our God. Trust Him today to do the impossible. So number one, send the crowd away. Number two, even if we gathered up 200 uh, 200 days worth of wages, it wouldn't be sufficient. But solution number three... The Bible tells us the other disciple, Andrew, he finds a lunch. Look at this, if you would, in verse number nine. Verse number, I'm sorry, verse number eight. Let's start with verse number eight. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here. Now you have to carefully watch the words. He says, there is a lad here. Okay, so there's a little boy here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Okay, so... Andrew goes and he finds, I don't know where he found him in the crowd. I don't know how he found him in the crowd. But we know that Andrew found this little lad. And this little lad was willing, and we'll talk about in just a moment, he was willing to give his lunch. But inside that little lunch that he had, it just had five little barley loaves and two small fishes. So you've got to notice the words, because notice what Andrew says at the end of verse number 8. Andrew, I'm sorry, the end of verse number 9. He says, but what are they among so many? And all I can locate is five. This, this, this young man's willing to give it. He's got his lunch. He's willing to give his lunch. But what is a lunch of five small barley loaves and two pieces of fish? What would that, how would that be useful with a crowd this size? The lunch was too little for such a gigantic crowd. Now there's a song we sing in our hymnal. And I think the song that we sing in our hymnal, the title of it would go so well with what's taking place here as Jesus feeds the 5,000. Little is much when God is in it. All I found was this little lunch. Five small barley loaves, two small pieces of fish, but little is much when God is in it. Can I say this? Andrew does give us a wonderful example here. Andrew is bringing somebody to Jesus. What a great truth here. What a great application. Andrew bringing somebody to Jesus. Now, we've heard that before in the life of Andrew, haven't we? Andrew went, when he met Jesus, he went to find his brother Peter. And he says, hey, I want you to come to where the Messiah is. I want you to come to where Jesus is so I can introduce you to him. Andrew is busy throughout the Bible. 
bringing people to Jesus. But I want us to notice some special things about this lad. All oh, this lad is so important in the, in, in, the, in the story here that we're reading of the feeding of the 5,000. This is the story of how a lad's little tiny lunch filled a great big bunch. Man, there's a bunch of people gathered. And I've got a little tiny lunch that I can offer. But God's going to take that little lunch and He's going to enable it to feed a great big bunch. In verse number 8 and verse number 9, we see some truths about this little lad. Uh, number one, we've just got a lad here. But here's the great truth about this lad. He was willing and he was available to let God use him. He was willing he was willing to say, God, here you can have my lunch. Can I say this? He probably was not the only, if you would think about this in your mind today, he probably was not the only one in that crowd who had food. But we do see he was willing. He was available to let God use him. He probably didn't have the best lunch in the crowd. He probably didn't even have the biggest lunch in the crowd. But the truth was, is this lad was willing and he was available to let God use him. Can I say this by way of an application or by way of a truth today? Age is no barrier for Christ. Here's a little boy who was able to be used of the Lord as he presented his lunch to the Lord. He used a willing child to, uh, to perform a spectacular miracle. As a matter of fact, that's how the Bible even says we have to come to the Lord. We come to the Lord with a childlike faith. Age is no barrier with Christ. We have a lad here, but then we also have a lunch. How much Jesus can do with something that is so small. Think about how Jesus took a little baby. Way back in the book of Exodus, Jesus took a little baby, if you know the story of Moses, and that little baby Moses was able to change the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. Here's just a little baby. God uses that little baby to change the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. God used a rod, although it seemed like something small in the hand of Moses, to part the giant waters of the Red Sea. Here God uses this little lunch to feed a gigantic crowd. God uses a little tiny sling and some stones in the hands of David to be able to kill a great big giant. God is able to take a little maid, the Bible says, in the book of Kings... And he's able to allow this little maid to get the attention of a man named Naaman who had leprosy. You remember the story? And Naaman then went to find the prophet Elijah. And he dipped in the Jordan River seven times because of the testimony of a little maid. Isn't it wonderful how God can use little things and turn them into something great? We have a little lad here. We have a lunch that he gave. And then we have an answer. You say, well, wait a minute. What was the answer? The answer was yes. The lad said yes to Jesus. He gave his lunch to Jesus. You know, the Bible desires, excuse me, the, 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 the Word of God, all throughout the Word of God, God very clearly lets us know that He desires for us to give Him an answer of yes. He wants us to say yes to Him. We, we sing that song, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Let the Lord have His way in your life every day. Just be willing to say yes to the Lord. I can picture this little boy perhaps coming up to Andrew perhaps coming up to Jesus there and saying, I'll give what I can. It's not a whole lot. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a bunch, but I'll give it to you so that you can use it. 
He was willing to say yes to the Savior. Oh, how God is able to use something little for His honor and for His glory. Think about some details of this boy as he brings his lunch. His lunch had to be prepared. His lunch was ready so that God could use it. In our lives, we've got to be prepared, don't we? We've got to be ready so that God can use us. And then his lunch had to be presented. He offered it to the Lord. You know, the Bible says that we are to offer our lives to the Lord, aren't we? We're to give our lives to the Lord. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That word present means that we offer or yield our lives to God. We take control off of our life and say, God, you do with my life as you see fit. Surrendering to the Lord. So he prepared his lunch. He presented his lunch, but then his lunch was placed into service. His lunch was used of the Lord. May we place our lives in service so that God can use us. And then the lunch was prospered by faith. Here's Jesus Christ, the one who can do the impossible, took that lunch and multiplied that lunch. It leads us to our last thought and we'll be finished this morning. We saw the compassion of Jesus. We saw the concern of Jesus, but notice lastly the care of Jesus. Look with me if you would down at verse number 11 and we'll finish with these verses. It says, And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples of them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as many as they would. When they were filled, that's good, isn't it? That means they got full off of it, didn't they? You mean a crowd of over 5,000 people got full off of two, uh, five loaves and two fishes? Yes, because God performed a miracle, didn't he? They were filled to the point where they didn't even need anymore. Imagine walking away from a lunch that was that little, but, much was, uh, but it was able to be used for, uh, for much when God was in it. Walking away full. The Bible says it was filled. And so he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the barley loaves which remained over and above unto, unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. A couple statements I'll give you and we'll be done here from verse number 11 down to verse number 14 that we just read. We see the care of the, of the Savior, the care of Jesus. Now we gave you three solutions already, didn't we? But we didn't talk to you about the fourth one. The first solution, just send the crowd away. The next solution is just answering the question. Hey, even if we had 200 penny worth of bread, it wouldn't be sufficient. And then the third solution, well, I found some lunch, but what is this amongst so many? Well, the fourth solution is the solution of our Savior, isn't it? And the solution of our Savior was that He was going to feed the crowd. The Bible says in verse number 10, it says, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place where the men sat down. Can you imagine almost the reaction of the disciples? Wait a minute, we just told you 200 penny worth is not going to be sufficient. We found five loaves and two, and two fishes, but what are they among so many? Well, have the crowd sit down. Now when Jesus says have the crowd sit down, what are his intentions? I'm going to take care of them, aren't I? I'm going to feed them. I'm going to provide the need that they have. You can almost imagine the disciples saying, Lord, you're asking us, you're commanding us to do the impossible. We're going to have the crowd sit down so that we can feed them, but we don't have enough to feed them. Jesus commands them to do the impossible because he was the one that intended to do the work. You don't have to do the work. I'll do the work. You just do what I ask you to do. Have the crowd sit down. Notice verse number 11, if you would. There's a couple great truths here we want to see. It says, And Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, 
Number one, the Bible says he's given thanks. He, he, he's desiring to put his blessings on what was brought to him. But as he gives thanks for that bread, he is acknowledging something very wonderful here. He's acknowledging that God is the supreme giver of all. God is the one who, who provides our needs. Isn't that great to know today that God provides your needs? He's already taken care of their spiritual needs. He wants to take care of their physical needs. God is the supreme giver of all. Can I make an application here? Instead of concentrating so much on complaining about what we don't have, let's spend time thanking the Lord for what we do have. And as we thank Him for what we have, isn't it great to know that God is a God who can make it go farther? Oh God, I, it, it almost seems like I, I find myself complaining because you haven't given me enough. No, thank you Lord for what you have given me, knowing that you are going to provide for me. You are going to meet my needs. You are going to take care of me and I'm going to put my faith in that. Then the Bible says in verse number 11 that he took these loaves and then it says he distributed them to, them, excuse me, to the disciples. Now there's a wonderful truth in this part of the passage. He takes the loaves and he distributes them to the disciples. Now, the miracle is taking place in the hands of the Savior, isn't it? The disciples are not performing the miracle. Jesus takes the bread in his hands, doesn't he? The miracle is taking place in the hands of the Savior. He is multiplying. But the disciples have the joy of getting to pass it out. Oh man, that's good today, isn't it? You think about that. God is the one that performs the miracle, but then he allows us the blessing of being able to give out what he has provided for us to those around us. Oh, God has given us the good news of the gospel, hasn't he? God has performed the miracle. We didn't perform. It wasn't my death on the cross or it would not be my death on the cross that would be sufficient to pay for the sins of the world. Jesus already did it, didn't he? The price has already been paid. Jesus has done the work. He has provided the miracle. But he gives us the joy of passing out what he has done for us to others so that they can hear. Oh, let's be busy giving out the good news of the gospel. Let's be busy distributing it to others. Did you notice they had to go to the Savior to get what he had in his hands so that they could take and they could pass it out to others that needed it? You know, there might be somebody here today that would say, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't know for sure about this gospel that you're speaking about. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all done things and said things and thought things that have displeased the Lord. The Bible says there's a punishment for that sin. The wages of sin is death. That's eternal punishment separated from the Lord for all of eternity. But God loved us so much that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a gift that God wants everyone to have. It's a difference between receiving it or rejecting it. Maybe there's somebody here today that's never received the gift of salvation. Maybe you say, I've never humbled myself enough to acknowledge my sin and believe that Jesus died for me and call on him to be my savior. You can't go back in your heart and mind, in your mind to a time and a place where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. Hey, he's already done the miracle. He's already done the miracle. We're just his laborers trying to pass out the good news of what he has already done. I'm trying to share the gospel with you today. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, would you come to know him today?
And then when the passage comes to an end, the Bible says God provided in such an abundant way they had 12 baskets remaining. Oh, this is a wonderful picture of the abundant provision of our God. He multiplies what we give to Him. If we're willing to give it to Him, He will multiply what we give to Him for His honor and His glory. Can I say this? Give all you have to Jesus and let Him do the rest. Give, there's a key word, give all that you have to Him and let Him do the rest. You leave the results up to Him, but He promises He'll take care of us. He promises He'll meet our needs. He'll supply our every need. Do you have enough faith to believe that today? I hope you do. I hope you know that you serve a God that is able to provide in an abundant way. Father, I pray you'd bless this message that's been preached today. I pray that you'd encourage our hearts by the thoughts of noticing your